0: You're listening to the Daniel Glass show only on Drummer's Resource. This is it, right here. Uh-huh. Then you got to add some of the little tricks. Ah. Uh, uh, you'll be swinging. Uh-huh. Right. It's the Daniel Glass show on Drummer's Resource, offering a deeper look into Daniel's unique take on music, drumming and life. Philosophy, motivation, musical deconstructions and conversations with influential voices in the music industry. Hey everybody, it is Daniel. I want to welcome you back to another episode of The Daniel Glass Show, only here on Drummer's Resource. And I'm actually doing today's podcast from a remote location. Um, I'm up in Provincetown, Mass., at the tip of Cape Cod. Um, and I'm working with a wonderful singer who's also a Tony Award-winning broadway star and uh and a famous actress actually if you're of a certain age uh it's linda lavin and linda probably what she's best known for is um the tv show alice which was i think on um from like 76 77 to 85 was a major i think was on cbs and uh, it was about uh, uh you know it was based on the movie alice doesn't live here anymore it's about a single mom who works as a waitress in a diner, and um, it was a super popular show when I was when I was young. Um, the famous line "Kiss my grits" comes from that, which is not uttered by Linda's character, who was Alice, but uh, the other waitress Flo, who worked at the diner with her. Um, anyway, it was a popular show, and I've known Linda for a while. Her husband Steve actually is a is a drummer, and um, and I just started in this this gig, they they come to my Monday gig cast party, so I've gotten to know them over the years, and uh, I just recently got the call, and it's been really fun working with Linda. She's a wonderful singer, uh, wonderful person, and um, and it's absolutely fantastic. So I'm up here in Provincetown for a few days, and I finally had time to do a podcast. I haven't put one out for a few weeks, so sorry. It's <laughs> it's it's crazy. I'm also in the process of moving right now, so the day I get back from this trip, uh, the day after I should say we're gonna we're gonna move. We're not moving far, but but you know how it is when you move even from one building to another, you gotta break everything down and put it all back together again. So all that's kind of exciting because for those who are who know me, uh who've studied with me on Skype, um, you know, I'm always in my <laughs> very humble New York digs. Uh basically I, I teach out of the living room of my apartment. Um and uh I'm going to actually have my own space, my own bedroom, so I can set it up as an office slash man cave, etc., etc. But anyway, all of that aside, I'm happy to be with you today, and today we're going to be talking about charts, charts, charts. Um, it's a very big, broad subject, but interestingly, I have been um, working with a lot of my students on this topic lately, and... Um, what generally happens is we, we work a lot on technique. As probably most of you know, I am a technique fiend. Um, we work a lot on hands, on form, on grip, on um, you know, r- really developing some consistency and a deeper level to, to ones playing that advances your playing no matter what style of music you play, no matter what you do. We work on, on the fundamentals, the basics, really breaking things down. Um, but once we kind of get through the first phase of that, then we move into music, into the musical phase, because to me, to just study technique doesn't really make sense if you don't apply it into whatever musical situation the student is interested in, in pursuing. So, um, I get all kinds of students who play all different kinds of music, um, and one of the things we do is we begin to, to to take a look at some different kinds of charts, chart analysis. And, um, you know, although charts tend to be associated more with professional musicians or musicians that play jazz, um, a big part of what I'm going to talk about in this podcast is that charts uh, really are useful to every drummer. And your ability to... And, and by the way, when I say charts, I don't even necessarily... Mean charts where you have to read music because a lot of musicians out there don't read music. Um, and, uh, but charts can be helpful to you too, if that's you who fall in that category. So hopefully if you've listened this far, I want to try to convince you to hang on and to, uh, listen to this podcast because you're going to realize that charts, uh, can offer a lot to every kind of musician. And of course I'm speaking particularly to drummers in this podcast. Um, so, you know, I've been working with my students, and we've been going over charts and looking at a lot of different things, and I just realized, like, there's so much here. There's so much information. There's so much to talk about. Um, you know, I've been reading charts probably since I was in high school, um, you know, doing doing uh, jazz band and, and playing in musicals and things like that. So for me, it's, you know, it's very familiar, but when you first start negotiating charts it can be quite an overwhelming experience and you take some time to kind of understand the language and to know what to look for so i'm hopefully what what i plan to do today is in this podcast is to um kind of demystify a little bit and to convince you why charts are important and to talk about some of the basic types of charts you can encounter as as a drummer um, you know in general charts offer us information that's what they do they're a roadmap um, they offer us information, and you know, having them around can make our lives so much easier, um, and that's reason enough to to investigate more. You can make your life easier as a musician, and and what I'm going to actually <clears throat> talk about some of the objections that people have to learning to read music or learning to to involve themselves with charts i'm going to try to answer some of those then i'm going to give you before we get into the types of charts i'm going to give you some you know sort of hardcore uh reasons why you know uh, for hardcore reasons why you you know what's beneficial about charts so before we get into all that i guess what do i mean by chart and excuse me A bit of a clear to the throat. What do I mean by charts? So there's, a, there's, you know, as I said, it's a roadmap. It's a visual roadmap, and um, charts can come in many different forms. So I'm going to sort of break down four different kinds of charts. Well, before I get to that, let me, let me talk a little bit about reading music, um, because um, it's, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, a lot of musicians don't believe they need to read music or don't want to learn music. Um, and I do really feel that, you know, reading music can, can mean different things to different people. But like I said, the ability to just have some awareness of written music, um, for no other reason than because you can use this roadmap to help you. Um, even if you, if you can't read notes, you can't read chords, you don't know those kind of things. Um, it it, it really will, it it can really change your life. It can really change your life. So um, we'll talk about types of charts in a second. Um, But I want to address, like I said, some of the fears that people have about about reading music, or not fears, but reasons why you don't need to do it or why they don't need to do it or why they never did. So the first is that, yes, fear. It's hard. It's too hard, and, you know, it's... there's there's no point in, in going through it. Um, you know, the type of music that I play, I don't need to, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and I, just to go back to a story, um, my band, Royal Crown Review, uh, which I've, of course, talked about a lot on this show. It was a big part of my life for 20 years. This band, uh, you know, we were all trained musicians. We used charts, and that's how we would function because we were like a little big band. I mean, we needed that. Um, and we would chart things out and we got better at that as time went on. But, um, we had an episode, our guitar player was a bike rider and he got into, we were in Vegas this was in 1997. We played a seven week run in Las Vegas and the guitar player at the time was a, a bike rider. Um, he had been like a junior Olympian. Uh, so he rode his 10 speed. He took it with, his bike, he took it with everywhere on the road. It was in our RV. It was on our tour buses. Every day he would get up and ride 20 or 30 miles um, before we would get the day going. He was like a real fanatic. Well, while we were in Las Vegas in the middle of a seven-week run playing six nights a week at a uh, at the Desert Inn Lounge, that's maybe a whole nother podcast because that's an awesome story. Crazy story. Um, but he got hit by a car and he broke his arm. And so literally... We had to find somebody for that night. And thankfully, we were in Vegas, and it was a big musician town, and we found a, a temporary replacement. He was an older guitar player named Joe Lano, who's killer. Uh, he had played with Sinatra and all these people as a, as a regular in Vegas, you know, all the artists that would come through there. He was, he was older than us by quite a bit. But he wasn't really the right cat for the band. He sat down when he played. He was a real jazzer. And, you know, our band was very energetic, and we were up and jumping around. So we needed to get somebody in from L.A., where we were from. And we we hired a guy who we knew was a great friend of the band, but we didn't realize that he couldn't read music. And so he had to learn. You know, we played like three sets a night of, of music, and he couldn't read any of the charts. And so he had to woodshed his brains out to try to get this stuff together um, and it just really brought home to me like how much more difficult it is to to learn music you know to 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 prepare for a gig for example if you're if you can't read or write and so you know as far as the fear it's sort of like one of those things where it's like a monster you know, the hairy monster in the closet. Like at first, you know, it's like the longer you ignore it, the the faster it grows and the bigger and scarier it becomes. And so for someone like him, where he had just sort of given up any thought of actually learning to read, you know, he had these incredible, uh, he had to overcome memorizing 30 songs or something like that in, in such a short period of time in order to get it together for, for our gig. So to those people who are either f- afraid or... Uh, feel like, you know, what's the point or it's not worth it, I would say you know, music is a language and if if we're able to read and write the language that we speak uh, our native language, whatever that is, English or German or Russian or whatever um, you could do exactly the same thing with music, and I would also say that you don't need to know that much, especially for drummers because um, we don't have to worry about the notes on the staff we only have to worry about what instrument uh, they represent, that, you know, it's just a language. And if we can read and write our own language, we could certainly do that with music. And really, it's almost like with drumming, the alphabet only has like 10 letters or something, you know. So some other uh, things that I've heard over the years where people, um, you know, come up with, with reasons why... Um, you know, they say, well, I don't want to have my head stuck in the music. I want to be spontaneous. Um, but charts aren't just for the bandstand. And I agree. Sometimes it's not an appropriate musical situation to have your head in a music stand and be reading, you know, you want to be performing. Uh, but, but charts are not just, um, for, to, when we're on stage, they also can be helpful in rehearsals. They can be helpful for practice. They can be helpful for preparation. Um, another thing I hear a lot of times is, "Well, there's a lot of great musicians who didn't know how to read, like Buddy Rich or Jimi Hendrix." You know, Buddy, of course, being the most famous example, he was you know the greatest technician, and yet he didn't read. Um, but <laughs> if you if you were to, you know, uh, anatomically put Buddy Rich's ears, you know, how he could hear music. They would be like, you know, a giant elephant ears. Uh, I mean, the guy had incredible, incredible memorization skills, and that's what you're depending on if you can't read. Um, Buddy had like a photographic, you know, photographic ears or something. He could hear a song. He would have a rehearsal drummer who would play the song through once or twice, and he would have it memorized. And once he memorized it, it would be, you know, locked in. And I think when we rely on memory, it's dangerous. Uh, For most of us, our memory may be good. We may sit there at home and have it all down. Then you get on stage and everything changes. There's a lot of other things, a lot of other factors. So, you know, for me, writing down notes uh, or having a chart, uh, I don't have to worry, is my memory going to fail? I've got it right there in front of me. Um, But... Um, you know, so, I mean, those are some of the, so, some of the uh, reasons, excuses that people give. I can memorize a lot faster than I can read, and maybe maybe that, that is the case. But I certainly think that um, a lot of times people are making up excuses because they don't, they're either, they don't want to learn how to read or they're afraid or they think it's going to take too much time. It really doesn't take that much time if you do it the right way. All right. So, um, and as I said, like, when I teach, and you know, talking about doing it the right way, I want, I don't really focus on reading. Reading is not the primary focus of my teaching practice, but I do try to get some of the basics in um, because it not only helps students to to learn um, faster, but it helps to ground you in a lot of ways and then sort of you know like i mean in reality most rhythms that drummers are going to use or that you're going to encounter are basically quarter notes eighth notes and sixteenth notes so if you can kind of begin to visualize what those look like either written out um, or as part of a drum chart uh you're going to you're going to get there quick you know and um so anyway, then you can you'll be able to handle a lot more, both as a reader of a chart and a creator of a chart, because we're going to talk about that as well, creating your own charts. So, so what what are the benefits of, of chart of of charts? And I've talked about some of the benefits that um you know or you know reasons to learn them. But I'm going to give you four concrete sort of benefits as to you know why we should learn how to negotiate or navigate a chart. However much reading ability we have. Number one, the charts provide a visual way for you to understand music. In other words, you can see the music in your mind's eye. And I think this is, for me, this is always how I explain it to my students and why it's so important. Because we may know lots of different rhythms, but when we see those rhythms written out on a page, and we can then begin to understand them in a different way. We can understand them in a visual way as opposed to an aural way or an auditory way. Uh, and that helps us to access them in another way. It helps to lock it in to, to what we're doing. So by looking at something, you know, oh, that's that thing. Um, and that's, you know, that I think deepens our experience of understanding music. Um and I've, you know, I've already talked about that they're a great guide uh, in terms of helping us remember and not have to, not having to depend on our memory because memory can let us down. Especially, you know, say you you work with a with a band, and then a year goes by and you don't work with them for the year, or you take some time off, or you did a gig you know you have a once a yearly gig or something um you know rather than rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing you can simply check your notes and go right back in and you know maybe you have to practice something to get the physical uh your physical abilities up up to snuff but um it's not like you have to re-memorize it and that just is is just so important Uh, Number three, our ability to read really helps us to understand rhythm in general. Uh, And what do I mean by that? You know, um, there's a saying, if you can sing it, you can play it. And I, you know, this is one of my favorite sayings. It's a saying I talk to my students about. I force my students to articulate uh, not only the rhythms that they are playing, you know, um, sing them, say them out loud, sing them, say them, but also... Often I have them sing the parts where they're not playing, meaning that I'll have them sing the beats where, say, they're lifting to prepare to come down to strike a surface. Um, for example, if they're if they're playing quarter notes on the uh, on the hi hat, I have them say the word "and" every time they come up, and that's actually a really tricky thing because our brain is used to speaking, or you know. Matching up the point of action with the word, with the verbalization, the articulation of of the action. Uh, if we have to verbalize the space in between the action, that's actually quite challenging. You'd be amazed when you try to sing the space, as it were, the beats when you're not playing. Uh, but by doing so, if you can sing it, you can play it, and that's the point of this: is that by by putting it out there into the world by v- verbally speaking it articulating it saying that beat um then i i am committing to it and i truly understand it um it's 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 uh you know it's the same thing with writing with writing it down if if something is written down then it is You have to play what is written. I think a lot of times in our mind, you know, we think we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, but if there's nothing to check us, if there's nothing written, or if we don't have to verbally speak, uh, the rhythm, you know, sing it, so to speak, then it's going to be harder for us to do it. We're relying on our mind. And again, relying on our mind sometimes doesn't help us to be clear about what it is that we're doing. And I hope that point makes sense. Um, You know, rhythm is very, very logical and very mathematical. So when you write it down, uh, in a way it helps clarify what it is that you're going to play. So another reason to kind of um, adapt this visual approach into into your drumming to think visually in your mind uh, about you know what it is that you're making happen musically. Um, the last point that I want to make about what's beneficial about charts, and I just I, I in preparation for this, I watched some videos where people talk about learning to read music and and whatnot. And this guy and I and I realized you know there was it was a, a British guy uh, who has a bunch of online videos and I don't remember his name right now, but he he said, uh, he was a bass player, and he said, uh, it changed music, Can you know, the ability to read can change your life, and I agree 100%, uh, you know, because I can read music, um, I can walk into a situation, to a rehearsal, or into a gig with absolutely, I don't have to know the people, I never have to have played with them before, I don't have to know the repertoire at all and uh I just read what's there and make music out of it and Although you know it people might say, well, you know that's that's really hard to do um you know it's this it, to go back to the to the reading idea, you know when you start reading, you stumble over every letter as a kid, then you get better, and then you're able to put the words together into sentences and then the sentences into paragraphs and now when we read, we read so quickly, we don't really read every word, we scan. We're used to seeing ideas. We're used to seeing groups of words and phrases. Um, Some are so familiar with, we don't need to process each word in that phrase because it's a phrase we're familiar with already, a saying or, you know, part of a sentence. So, it's the same thing with music, you know, there's a lot of uh, repeated ideas in music, there's a lot of thing patterns that you can look for um, by understanding form of the song and things like that. And once we can see those visually, we can process the information coming in visually and immediately turn it back around as it's coming in. Uh, as as the music that it, that is on the page, so you know that that ability to read, that ability to to be good with charts, um, has you know allowed me to play with amazing people. Be up here in Provincetown. Provincetown's a beautiful uh, vacation town on the tip of Cape Cod. The ocean is here. It's a gorgeous day. Of course, I'm inside doing a podcast, but <laughs> uh, but um, you know I was out earlier running around, and um, you know. Basically, if I couldn't read, I couldn't do this gig. We had one rehearsal beforehand and, you know, that's it. Then it's, it's showtime and you got to, you know, you mark up your charts, you put your notes, um, those kind of things. Um, had I not been able to read, I wouldn't have been able to do the Brian Setzer orchestra gig, you know, where I had no rehearsal whatsoever. So, you know, it, it can make you more employable. It can make you, it can save a lot of time. I mean, the poor guy that had to learn 30 Royal Crown Review songs. And I have students all the time that that say to me, you know, oh God, I've gotta I've gotta learn, you know, 30 songs by next Wednesday. So what does that mean? Learn 30 songs by next Wednesday? Practice them and practice them and practice them and practice them until you have them memorized. How many rock bands, or not just rock bands, but how many bands in general rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse? And rehearse? over and over and over and over again until everybody has it memorized. That's, to me, not a great use of my time. I don't like rehearsing. I like performing. And so, you know, generally, for most gigs I have uh, in the world that I travel in, I have a rehearsal, generally not more than one rehearsal. And um, you got to get it together, but you've got that that roadmap to guide you and and then, you know, it goes from there. Now, of course, you know, the ideal thing is to, to be not with your head buried in a music stand, um, and not be reading. So obviously as soon, the sooner that I can, cause that's one thing I dislike about a lot of musicians is that they use the chart as a crutch and they, um, you know, they, they, they are used to just looking down and staring at the music, even if they've played the song 150 times, and they know it. And I uh, my personal philosophy is I want to be what they call off-book, meaning I don't use the charts anymore. I have the show memorized or I have the songs memorized. I want to get there as soon as possible. But sometimes it's just not possible when... You know, you have limited times, but you 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 do have to train yourself that if it's a gig that you do consistently, to look up and look out at the world, because sometimes, yeah, it's not very attractive or exciting, and there's not much connection to see a music with their head, you know, buried in that music stand all the time, never looking up. So, you know, again, it depends on the situation. If I'm playing a, a rock gig, um, you know, I might, and we're going to talk about cheat sheets in a minute, but I might. If I have to learn material, I may make some quick cheat sheets about the form and this and that, but I'm not going to be staring down at that. I'm going to make it feel like a rock gig. If I'm working with a singer in a cabaret, you know, room or something like that, then the music—it's more acceptable to have the music there because most people are focusing on the artist, and I'm a side man, so they're not focusing as much on me. But it's always a an interesting. Um, you know, an interesting uh, sort of struggle, I guess you could say, uh, a yin and yang. Um, anyway, so you know, those are the reasons I think, in a very long case, for for why we should interact with charts. And again, I say this like I'm going to now talk about different types of charts. And I'm you know there are many obviously many types of charts and people do them in a lot of different ways depending on uh, what's the easiest way for them to um, access the information to, to help them to take you know to perform the music they're doing. Um, but you know, uh, I, I, I really am a firm believer that having the understanding the music visually, being able to, negotiate it quickly and rapidly um, it just allows me to move forward a lot quicker in in doing what i do and again i'm not just in one band and i'm i am a freelancer and i'm a busy freelancer but the reason i am a busy freelancer is because of my ability to, to negotiate music all right so let's look at the different types of charts and I've, I've really, um, I'm going to put up some examples of all of these. I, I basically have four different types of charts that you are likely to encounter in the world. Again, there are probably others that I'm leaving out, but these are sort of the, the big four, I would say, that I at least encounter in my doings as, as a musician. And they're all a little different, um, and some of them I prefer over others, uh, but you know, I want to sort of outline them all so you get a sense of what you might encounter, or what you have encountered, and what might be good or what, how might be a better way to go about it to make your life easier as a chart reader, so to speak. Um, so, the first is good old fashioned sheet music. Uh, and by sheet music, what I mean is like a piano score. Um, usually, there are two staves uh, in a piece of, of in, in a score. Uh, because it's written for piano players so the top stave is in the treble clef which means the right hand plays it the left hand is in the bass clef um, which means the left hand reads it at the lower end of the piano and um, that's how a piano player divides up what they do one hand is playing the lower notes the bass line as it were and the other hand is playing more of the melodic content Um, now Piano scores are great for piano players. They're not so great for everybody else. Um, The biggest issue is that because you have two staves to negotiate, right? A drum chart, for example, you just usually have one staff uh, that has all the different instruments um, of of the drum set on it. But, you know, so you only have so many staves per page. Uh, So if you know, you have eight staves per page, well, you're really only getting four lines of music. So generally, there are a lot more pages on a um, a piano score, on, on sheet music in general. And it is a very awkward way to read music because you're constantly having to turn pages. And of course, when you have to turn a page and you're using both your hands, you have to find the right place to make the page turn and, um, you know, it can be awkward. And... Um... A lot of times piano scores are not really written. The person that did the what they call the takedown from the record didn't maybe do the greatest job in terms of really accurately figuring everything out because they're just thinking about things as a piano player would. Uh, so these kind of charts are not great. And and by the way, I should also mention I've talked about my Monday night gig at Birdland, the Birdland Jazz Club here in New York. It's um, it's a gig that's a quote-unquote open mic night, um, but it's really more of a show, and the performers we get are very heavyweight. Um, but they, the performers will bring in charts, and we never know what the charts are, and we just have to read them down. A lot of times I don't get a chart, but, but I, I get all sort of all four uh, of the types of charts that I'm talking about in this podcast. So when I get sheet music, what's really irritating is, you know, it's generally for a song that maybe has a fairly short form, even though the form itself is short, everything is written out, and so someone will hand me like 14 pages. And then they won't tape the pages together to at least make it so that I can you know, set them up in an accordion style and just bend the top corner and then flip the pages as I go. Um, a lot of singers especially are not aware uh, that musicians have to turn pages uh, if they're going to get through the chart, and they have to do it in real time. And so they don't think about things like taping the charts, which is very frustrating and annoying. Um, what I... What I usually follow, if I have a score, is I follow the bass line because uh, that will tell me what feel the song is in. Um, is it, you know, are there breaks in the song? So, for example, if the, you know, the bass, the bass part might have. Um, and again, I, I don't really, I read notes, but I'm painfully slow at it. But what I look for when I'm looking at these charts. Are rhythms. And the rhythms in the chart can tell me a lot about what I have to do. So the bass line is gonna tell me if, like, say the bass is going boom, 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 like beats one and three, okay, then I'll play a certain, in a certain way, certain kind of, you know, for a quote unquote two feel, which means the bass only plays on beats one and three. If it's more of a swinging thing, then the bass will play on all four beats. If it's a rock thing, then the bass line will be like boom, ba boom, boom. Um, you know, so, I can tell if it's straight or swung. I can just by looking at that bass line, I can determine even like what is the style of this song. So, I don't have to ask, you know, because we literally have less than a minute to figure out what's going on in these charts that are brought up. They drop the charts off for us. The singer either talks to the piano player. Almost the singers almost never come and talk to me. So literally, the singer will talk to the piano player, run down what they want or how they want the arrangement of their song to be, uh, and then the piano player l- looks at me and under his breath, you know, because he doesn't want to yell while the host is up there talking, he'll mouth, you know, swing or sh- sh- Broadway show tune or country or 12 a blues or sometimes he just says, just watch me. You know, or there are breaks. There's a bar of 5-4. Um, the song is in 3. It's a waltz, but it's not a jazz waltz. It's a, you know, like a more traditional kind of... Um, ba, ba, um, ba, ba, you know, kind of a waltz. So, I mean, I have to be ready for all these things. If I and, and like I said, that's if I don't get the chart. If I get the chart, then, you know, pretty much I can figure out most of that information on my own. But... Um, so, um, a lot of times also piano music, we're still talking about uh, score sheet music doesn't include the chords. And although again, I don't have to read chords or notes as part of what I'm doing. Sometimes watching those things and the movement of those things can really, uh, help us in addition to the bass line, We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but you know, the, the idea of the contour of a chart is just as important as the actual notes. And what do I mean by contour? Well, for example, um, sometimes you'll see a run of notes going up, uh, you know, from low to high. So you can follow, is this going up? And what does that mean? Usually if you have a run of notes going up, it's going to conclude in something. It is setting you up to conclude in a certain way. So by understanding that, I can make musical decisions um, that are appropriate to this particular song. So, um, you know, where do the runs go? How do they conclude? What are the rhythms of the melody? Uh, and what do I mean by that? There's something called the rhythmic melody. And we'll, I'll talk more specifically about that uh, when I get to talking about lead sheets, which actually is my favorite form of chart to, to get a hold of. Uh, so... The line, the contours of the notes—these are all things that you can glean. And of course, sheet music. If it's a if it's a song that's a vocal song, um, whether it's a pop song or a Broadway song or country song, blues—you know, any anything can be turned into sheet music. Any kind of song, um, the lyrics will be there. And so sometimes you can figure out where you are in the chart, obviously by listening to the lyrics. The lyrics help you to understand what the song is about, which is. Always, in my opinion, very important to playing it well as a drummer. Um, no, the more I know about the song, the more I can effectively play the song, and that's, you know, that's on every level. It's it's important for us drummers to not go into drummer world and just think about the beat we're playing or the style we're playing or the tempo we're playing and those kinds of, or, you know, what, what kind of cool fill we can play. We really have to play to the song. And I've done entire podcasts about this as well, because it is such an important, um, you know, factor. So having any kind of a chart or most kinds of charts will, will help us. Certainly if the melodies included, chord symbols are included, um, uh, you know, watching the contours, like I said, these things will all uh, help us to help the band, you know? And we can do a lot to contribute if we know what the song is about, what the lyrics are, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it, you can make your the mood with which you're playing can be influenced by knowing what the song is about and what the feel of the song is. Okay, so a couple of other types of charts that we tend to see as drummers. Uh, and these, uh, sometimes people will actually write out a specific drum chart. And that can take several forms. Um, so what you might often see is what's called a block chart or a slash chart. And a block chart, and again, I'll, I'll put up examples of these things on on, uh, on the show notes of this podcast so you can see for yourself what they're all about. A block chart literally means that um, instead of having notes on the staff uh, or rhythms, you know, or drum set notation, they literally, the, the, the person writing the chart will just literally make a, a big, you know, thick line through it with a number above it. Boom. So it might say letter A or verse and then, you know, 16 bars and then pre-chorus Four bars and then chorus, eight bars and then you know solo this much and then interlude or whatever. So it's breaking up the song by section into essentially they're blocking out just big chunks of of um, of bars, and they don't even write individual bars. They just write a big long slash across you know in one bar. A big thick line in just one bar with the number above it, meaning this section is this many bars long. Um, and so that really only tells you, the only information that gives you is the form of the song. And that's certainly very important. And if we had, if I get that kind of a chart, then I can get through the song. And But then I don't know what the melody is. I don't know what the song sounds like. I don't know... Uh, what the style of the song is or any of those things um, because none of that information is provided in that kind of a chart and I have to then listen and sort of figure it out as I go which can be a dicey proposition um, because I have less information and if I have less information I can't make the song sound as good as it can sound because I don't know how to help it along, right? So Uh, Similarly to a block chart is what's called a slash chart. A slash chart has all of the bars written out. In other words, you're going to count through each bar. You're going to watch each bar go by. And what slash marks are is they tell you play rhythm, play time. So if you see eight bars and each each bar, And by the way, there's a slash for each beat. So if you're in 4-4 four, four time, you have four slashes in each bar. They'd look like a backslash on a computer, um, you know, from a computer. Uh, and you just count away. So if there's eight bars, um, you know, they're, they're, um, they, they have uh, um, slash, you know, eight bars of slashes. Now... And again, really all that you get in a chart like this is that you're outlining the form. And maybe this form, you don't have to remember count up to 16 bars or whatever, because there's only a number 6 written on the top, or 16 written on the top of that one single bar. But instead, you have to like watch as 16 bars go by. But again, you're not given any information about the um, about the you know this the the song you you don't know you're just counting bars and i dislike this almost even more than a block chart because all your attention is taken up to like watching bars go by instead of paying attention to what the music is it reduces the drummer to simply someone who's just marking time it discourages you or me or any drummer from learning about the song learning more about the song. It discourages us. It encourages all the worst habits of of drummers that that I complain about all the time, which is that we don't learn anything about the music. We don't learn the melody. We don't learn the lyrics. We don't learn what the song is about, nor do we care. Our only goal is to, like, you know, think about what groove we're playing and what fill we're playing, and that really does a great disservice, in my opinion, to music, and in particular, of course, jazz music, because, you know, Jazz is is about um, is about the uh, um, the melody. and I've done you know podcasts about that as well about how the the idea of the melody in jazz is what you should be paying attention to, but the same really goes for for rock music and other styles. Um, but in rock it's a little simpler because the whole song is broken up into these sections and often the melodies are not as complex as they are in jazz. Um, it just depends, you know, what it is that you're doing, what style of music that you're doing. Um, so then, you know, you often will have drum charts that are not block charts or slash charts and they're very well written and often like big band charts, for example, um, you know the 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 drums are notated fairly well and it gives you a sense of what to play and um when to play your fills and what kind of fills they want. And there are what are called section figures, uh, which are written above the staff that show you essentially what the the key horn hits are, the key rhythmic hits in the piece that the other instruments are playing so that you can set up these hits or deal with them appropriately. You also have what are called ensemble figures, which are written into the bar. And it's a little complicated to get into all that here. Um, But big band charts usually... Even though it's just a drum chart, it offers a lot of information uh, about what's happening in the big picture, and so I like I like that. Often, however, though, if I, if I just get a slash chart, I'll actually go ask the piano player if I can get a copy of their music, or if it's a big band, I'll ask the lead trumpet player if I can get a copy of their music, and I'll read from their music as opposed to the slash chart, because um, slash charts... Like I said, don't offer me any information. And even though a trumpet chart is going to look different than a drum chart, it's got uh, all of that. You know, the the reason I say the lead trumpet part is because they are the ones who tend to have the most melodic hits, um, the the hit the 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 hits that um, or the melodies that the audience is going to hear and identify. Like, oh, that's the melody of the song. You know, the, the the lead trumpet is the one that sort of gets the melody or gets the, the, the most important hit. So if I have that person's part, then I can make something of that. I can I can help the band, I can set things up, I can see how the sections are gonna unfold. Um, and that's that's very important. So anyway, those are specific drum charts. Now I'm gonna to move to Um, talking about my favorite kind of chart to get, which is what's called a lead sheet. And it's what I prefer. And in in the world of jazz, lead sheets are very popular. If you've heard of the the real book, quote unquote, that's the title, the real book, which is a, it's a book of uh, mostly jazz type standards, although now they have real books, or they call them fake books sometimes, um, for all different kinds of styles, and for fusion, and for modern jazz, and, Um, and, and, um, but the idea behind a lead sheet is that it, it condenses the form of the song into a one or two page chart, meaning, um, it'll have repeat sections or it'll have DSs, uh, to codas. Um, it, the, the attempt is to organize the chart into a, a very, um, stripped-down version, where basically you get the melody of the song and the chords and the form all on one or two pages. Um, And you could do an arrangement of a song and make a lead sheet of it. Um, And so in my world that I operate in, this is normally the type of chart that I receive. Uh, sometimes there are page turns involved, and page turns are always tricky. Um, but they they write the charts with the idea to minimize page turns um, so that the whole thing is right there. Um, and I want to, again, I want to take a specific song now and talk about it. And what I've done is I've uploaded uh, this lead sheet from the show notes. So you can go and you can actually download the lead sheet as I'm discussing it. And we can together, we can, (laughs) we can, uh, make sense of it. So the song that I've chosen to put the lead sheet up is called straight, no chaser. It is a, um, a great classic by, uh, the jazz pianist, Thelonious monk. And, um, it's a, very straightforward chart. It's not a long song, so we can do our analysis fairly quickly. Uh, but the first thing that you'll that I notice when I'm looking at a song, at a chart, is I want to you know if it's the melody is written out. I mean, you know, we 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 talk about song form, so I'm going to try to understand the song form from the lead sheet. Uh, and many sort of classic songs. Um, great American Songbook-type songs that I play in my world are 32 bars with what's called an A-A-B-A format. And that means that the A section, it's, it's, it's four sections. An A, which is usually eight bars, another A, which is eight bars, a B section, which is like the bridge Uh, which is also eight bars, and then finally A section again, and all the A's are basically the same. The B section is the only section that's different. So a classic example of AABA format is the Flintstones. Da da Meet the Flintstones. Da 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 That's the first A. Second A da da found in bedrock. They're a page right out of history. That's the second A. Now the bridge. Let's try with the family down the street. Da 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 the B <anas> when you're with school, the Flintstones. Have a da 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 Right? So Basically, and they tag the end. That's that's a tag on the end. But essentially, you have two A's, a B, a bridge, and another A. Now, although you may not be familiar with what's called AABA, I guarantee you, your ears are. And you've probably heard a million songs that are in the AABA format. Um, This particular song... So, in any case, I I immediately try to figure out what is the form of the song, and I also try to figure out... um, you know, once I have the form, um, there are other things to do. So, for example, if I look at a at a 32-bar chart, I say, okay, it's 32-bar, so is it A, A, B, A? And I can use the chords, even if I don't, or I can use the melody notes to see if that A section is repeated, right? Do, are these the same set of chords? Is this the same set of melody notes, you know, in the first eight bars, the second eight bars, and the last eight bars? Okay, it's A, A, B, A, so now I know what to do there. Or, no, it's not. Or, you know, the... Maybe it's an AAB format, and there is no last A. Or maybe it's just A-B, or it's A-B-A. You know, these are all possibilities. Or you can get into, you know, that's if there's only two sections in the song. You can add a C section or a D section. So, you know, this is equivalent. There's a lot of rock and roll songs, of course, that aren't A-A-B-A, but they're more of the verse-chorus uh, you know, so you might have an intro section, then, you know, the first verse, then you might have a pre-chorus uh, leading into a chorus, and then, you know, back maybe to the intro again, or the, some version of the intro, then a second verse, um, second pre-chorus, chorus, then you might have a solo section. And all of these are sort of the forms of that we find in, in more modern styles of of rock and pop music, uh, say, since the time of the Beatles is when that way of of writing pop music became, it sort of replaced the AABA or the blues type formats. Um, So, uh, you know, I'm sussing out all these things when I look at the chart. And we on, on Cast Party, we may get A million of these in every one of those formats that I talked about earlier. And so it's incumbent on me that I know a lot of music. That's why listening to music is important. And of course, I've played a lot of music in my life, but being able to look visually at that chart and understand what's coming my way. so let's go back to straight no chaser because that was my original example uh but just to to orient you so when i look at straight no chaser if i didn't know this song say that there was no title on there or it was a different title i would immediately note that the song is 12 bars long and uh it's first of all it's three lines and each each line has four bars so Aha, twelve bar. So what does that say to me? That says that this song could be a blues because um, you know the most standard type of blues format is the twelve-bar blues. And again, you may not realize what that looks like on paper, but um, your ear is certainly going to recognize that. Hey, this is a this is a, well, a twelve-bar blues once you hear it. But again, if you're looking at the chart before you have to play it, you've got to try to figure these things out in advance. Now, again, I may not know. I may not be able to look at the melody and be able to sing that melody because my uh, awareness of notes isn't that great. But what I can look at is the chord qualities. Um, and what do I mean by chord qualities? Well, um, the first chord is an F, F7. And if I look at the time, the key signature on the left, there's one flat. That tells me, yes, the song is an F. Now, even if you don't know that one flat means that the song is an F, um, you should be able to figure out that this is a blues from looking at the chord qualities. So F is the first chord, and um, if I look at the next chord, that's a B flat, which is the four. Chord. When we say quality, what we mean is you know F seven is a dominant chord, B flat seven is a dominant chord. Now I don't, again, I don't need to know that. All I need to know is if I start, if I start my scale on F and I go F G A B, okay, B is the fourth chord in an F scale. Whatever the quality is, whether it's a a, a, a B flat or a you know a, a seventh chord or a minor seventh chord or a diminished chord. I know that B-flat is, the, is the, the four chord in an F scale. And then the next chord, we go back to F for another two bars. So I, I went one, four, one, one. Those are the first four bars of this tune. That's looking a little like the blues, right? The blues in its most simple form is the first four bars are the one chord. The second four bars... Are the four chord, and uh, then you have the five chord uh, on bars nine and ten, and usually 11, 12. You go back to the one chord. So, I'm you know, I'm already seeing that this is probably a blues tune. Um, we go to the second line, that's the fifth bar, and lo and behold, it does go to the four chord, and then it has a bit of a turnaround, so it gets a little more complicated, but then. On the next chord, it has the G chord, G minor seven, but that is the five of, I'm sorry, that is um, the. It's a little complicated. It's not a totally straight blues, but the five chord, which is the C, is in there. It's on the last line. It's the second, the second, uh, second chord on the third line, bar ten. So and then I'm back to the one chord. So I can see. Okay, one chord, four chord, back to the one, and then we go to the five chord and back to the one. So, okay, it's a blues. Um, Some other things that I can tell from this song, if I can read rhythms and I can read charts fairly well, uh, Straight Note Chaser's melody, it, it has a very interesting rhythmic melody, and I did mention this earlier. So... The first line, and again, if you're looking at this, you can read along with me, assuming the notes are swung, so they're just going to have a shuffle, shuffly feel to them. But if we start the first line, one, two, a one, two, three, four, ba ba ba, ba 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 ba, ba ba ba, ba 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 ba. So, what's fun is. There's a lot of rhythmic stuff happening here. Badoo ba 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 do ba do ba do ba do ba ba do ba So this idea of do ba do ba, it's a it's a rhythmic idea, one and two and. But Thelonious Monk, who wrote this song, he's kind of known for doing crazy things with rhythm, which is why his songs are a lot of fun to play, because they're not they're not only sort of quirky from a harmonic Standpoint from the harmony, like what he did to a typical blues to make it very unusual, but also he uses rhythms a lot in his music, and that's one of the things when I got into jazz. One of the first artists that I was sort of a gateway for me, um, you know, from I I had been a rock listener and then I got into progressive rock. Uh, Progressive rock was, you know, much more. Kind of orchestrated. You had these long songs with all these complex parts going on in them, but um, but it was still rock. Still had a rock feel. So that was cool. But then I wanted more improvisation because I realized like, wow, when musicians are just totally improvising, that's really cool. So that's sort of what brought me over to jazz. But I didn't know anything about jazz. I mean, or very little. Just little spot things here and there. And Thelonious Monk was sort of the first artist that when I listened to like a whole album of his, I went, wow, every one of these songs is so quirky and weird and unique. It didn't just sound generic to me like so much other jazz. You know, when you first get into jazz, it just like kind of all sounds the same. And so I I really grabbed on to Monk and and, and these little cool little songs that he writes really jumped out to me. And a big part of that was because they're very rhythmic. Um, you know, he's got all kinds of cool songs. Rhythmining is one, and um, it's just, you know, the, so this particular one, Straight No Chaser, this blues, plays around with this with this rhythmic idea. Now, so this, this helps us in a lot of ways. First of all, I know I'm playing a blues. Second of all, I can kind of look at this rhythmic melody, and as I'm playing the song, I can kind of hit some of these accented notes or these long notes that are part of this melody. So, you know, I'm playing, right? And so the ability to kind of read these rhythms, I don't, again, I don't know the notes, but reading the rhythms really helps me um, to to get the feel of this chart right away. So I hope that helps um, in terms of, sort of being able to look at a lead sheet and suss it out quickly without having to do a lot of page turns and not having to look at two different staves. um, It's a very effective way to write out, to chart out a song is the way that they, they did it in the real book and um, how it, now that's kind of become the form, particularly for jazz. All right. So the last thing I want to talk about are cheat sheets and essentially making your own charts. Um, and I think it's, it's very important that we, um, that, you know, again, if you are not a a musician who reads, you can still make your own cheat sheets, uh, your own charts. And that's the last type of chart. And there really are no rules for these. It's whatever works, but writing it down, um, is, is very helpful. And again, this is sort of the cure to the poor guy that had to come out and learn those songs in, in 30, you know, 30 songs in, in three days or my students, you know, or if you, for example, I had another student who worked with, um, he worked with, uh, a lot of singer songwriters who wrote their own originals. So now you're not even playing cover tunes of songs that you may know, or that you've heard, you're just dealing with, you know, uh, completely original songs. So again, you know, and this student was complaining, you know, I, I, I get hired. I'm only making like 75 bucks on this gig, but I have to learn this person's entire, uh, repertoire. And, um, and it's, and you know, it's, um, it's really hard. I'm spending so much time learning these tunes, uh, that it's not really worth the money that I'm making. So, you know, again, if you have the ability to at least chart them, then then you can um, do that. And I, I, I when I, in talking about um, cheat sheets, I'm reminded of a gig that I did, where I I got hired to sub on a couple of different party bands that would play weddings and things like that. I only did the gig a few times, but it was actually quite complex because. Um, all of these songs, there were tracks that you had to play along with, which is very common these days. Uh, there, were, there were a lot of very, very modern tunes, Katy Perry tunes and... Um Um, Nicki Minaj songs and, you know, Maroon 5 moves like Jagger and all these kind of, you know, whatever's on the charts right now in the pop world um, today, Ariana Grande and that kind of stuff. And I don't really know any of that music. I don't listen to that music. It's not my favorite. Um, But I had to, I had to get these tunes down. And so what they did was they sent me, um, they just sent me the tracks so all you hear at the beginning is like four clicks, and then you're into the song, and that's going to be the form of the song. Um, so I would, you know, and, and often the tracks, it's you're not hearing the full song. You're getting some some you know, drum machine samples and some keyboard, and then some background vocals, and so I had to listen to. But, but generally, the 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 form of the tracks, you know, the the number of bars, etc., was similar to the form of. Um, of the actual song so i went on youtube and i you know a b that and then i started writing these little kind of cheat sheets and i guess i could you could say that it's a combination of a lot of um the songs or a lot of these different types of charts rolled into one so for example if there was a a figure at the beginning of the song you know jump, and then you're into the song you have to write out that little rhythmic figure then you maybe write out the groove. This is the main groove and you write a block chart. So the main groove for, you know, 16 bars, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I would write my own little block charts that would also have section figures if there was an important hit or two that I had to make sure that I, that I nailed. Um, and, um, you know, that way I really didn't, practice the charts i had by the way no rehearsal with this with these bands there was no there was no rehearsing because i was a sub so the band would rehearse the regular members but uh i was a sub so there was there was no rehearsal for me and i had to walk in and it was challenging because i had to i had to count off most of the tunes because i was hearing the click and then i had to you know know the form and write down these little cheat sheets so i'm going to try to dig up some of those cheat sheets that I put together or find some, some cheat sheets. I mean, there's a couple great examples of, um, uh, stories again. Um, Josh Fries, the famous musician in LA, you know, he was known to show up, uh, famous, he's a famous, um, session guy in LA and he would show up with a yellow legal pad and a Sharpie and he would just chart out the songs either from the, the uh, the demo, maybe there'd be a demo or the artist would just sit there and play it for him or whatever, but that was his thing. You know, you hear of people doing the same thing on on the drums themselves, uh, writing down notes and stuff on the drum heads. So it's right there in front of them, you know, if it's one particular song or one particular thing. I remember Peter Erskine in one of his books talking about how he was flying from one gig and <clears throat> going to meet up with Boss Gags, uh, you know, the famous was big in the 70s and 80s kind of blues blues style pop singer um, and Peter was writing out the charts on on the airplane on the way out and he gave some examples in the book of his cheat sheets uh, what they looked like so but you know the thing is whatever works I've had students that use lyrics as a cue because they don't know how to write the rhythms um, so they, take the lyric sheet and you know, sometimes at cast party, that's all I get is a lyric sheet. Uh, and you got to make do with that, but at least you got something. Um, so this student that I've been teaching in Russia, he was, he was actually, uh, I was just out in Russia a few weeks ago. And, um, this, this very wealthy Russian actually hired a very famous rock band to play at his birthday party, which was at a thousand capacity venue. Um, and he, um, he couldn't. I mean, I've I've been work. I worked with him for about six months to get him ready for this gig, and we worked on that band's songs, uh, and a lot of different groove ideas and things. But the way he charted stuff out was he based it on the lyrics, and he sort of wrote down. In what he needed to uh, in and around the lyrics of the songs, which is a primitive way to do it, but, you know, it got him through the gig. And the idea was that he would hire these bands for his birthday party, it, but he would play the gig with the band. And he's actually did quite a good job. Um, I, you know, my wife and I went to the birthday party. That's part of the reason why we went out to Rush. I had a couple clinics and other things out there, but we went to this this insane birthday party event, and, uh, and this guy... Um, Played played great. He played great. And I was very proud of him because he did a lot of a lot of hard work in that regard. Anyway, I think I'm going to leave it there because I've been yapping for quite a while. Uh, but go check out the show notes. I've got I'll have different uh, examples of these different kinds of charts so you can take a look at them. And I would just say, you know, don't be afraid of charts. Uh, don't be afraid to. Explore that world, because you're going to make your life so much better, so much easier, so much time saved, so much memory saved. And, you know, you probably end up working more if your ability to chart out, if you have an ability to, to chart out music. Um it really, or, or to read charts, um, it really is a, a game changer. And, uh, uh, you know, if you want to make more money, get better gigs, work with more people, and spend less time in the rehearsal room and more time on stage, I can't recommend it enough. So, thanks again for checking in. Please uh, follow me on Instagram. Uh, I'm there, uh, or on my Facebook page, Daniel Glass Drummer, Author, Educator. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, or anything else, or suggestions for other podcast episodes, please do not hesitate to contact me. You can always reach me through my website, danielglass.com. So thanks for listening to The Daniel Glass Show right here on Drummer's Resource. I will see you next time around.